On this edition of the Deseret News Youth Insiders Podcast, we talk Utah basketball. The ball just didn't go in the hoop in a recent trip to Los Angeles. We also talk a little football, that and more on the Deseret News Youth Insiders Podcast. This is former pollster and Utah alum David Spadafore, 45-year lobbyist at the Utah State Legislature, and you and I are both listening to the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. It's going to be great. Welcome to yet another edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. Dirk Facer here with Jody Genesee and Mike Sorensen. Guys, welcome to another edition. Thanks, Dirk. Thanks. Let's get after it, okay? Let's talk basketball, Mike. Uh, Utah didn't shoot the ball very well in losses to USC and UCLA. Uh, what did you see down in L.A.? I saw a lot of missed shots. It's been clang, a kind of a clang. it's been a theme for the team lately, you know. They just uh, I think I put in my story yesterday six out of nine games this uh, impact twelve play they've shot under forty percent. That's not going to win you a lot of ball games. In fact, they just uh, the ball just isn't going in for them right now. And if it doesn't, they don't have any chance because they just don't have enough other things on their team to get by. When they shoot sixty three percent like they did against Washington State, they won easily. Otherwise, they don't have a chance. Well, let's look at the games individually. They lost fifty six fifty two at USC. Shot. 32.7% from the field in that game. The interesting thing about that one, Mike, is their defense was pretty good because USC only shot 37.3%. Yeah, if Utah shoots 37%, they win the game. If they went make two more shots, because they led the whole game, they were uh, they were up, let's say, what, 35 out of the 40 minutes, but they just couldn't, they just didn't make enough shots. And then at the very end, USC's experience came through and Utah couldn't quite hang on, but that was a game that was right there for the taking. They're up by nine points in the second half and they just couldn't hang on. And interesting. Uh, Riley Batten's been playing well. He had a near double-double, 10 points, 9 rebounds. Timmy Allen, 13 points, 9 rebounds. So they got some guys that are doing some things, Jody, but uh, they obviously need more than two guys. Yeah, I mean, one thing that, uh, that hurt the Utes this weekend was not having Booth Gotch, you know, the, had the knee injury, and so that definitely put them a man down. But Riley Batten, I mean, surprisingly, he's led the Utes in scoring for the last seven games, so he's really coming on uh, and playing well. But they still need more. I mean, they, they'll they have one guy who plays well for a week or a game, and then other guys will kind of disappear. I mean, Mickey Yontunen. Have we figured out how to say his name? Mick, Mickey. Mickey, yeah. <laughs> the Mick. He kind of disappeared after having a strong uh, showing last week against Washington State, so that was, he only had four shots in the last two games. That was a bit disappointing to me. He's one of the best shooting players on the team right now. Is shooting about 70%, which is phenomenal, obviously. That's a Rudy Gobert-like number, uh, but they need some more consistency from these guys. You know, they can't just come in. And it was it reminds me of like the old when I'd go to Utah Jazz games back in the day. We'd have the Ty a, Corbin days. There were even before Ty Corbin, yeah, <laughs> the Jerry Sloan days. We'd have a CJ Miles sidebar about once every three weeks because CJ Miles would show up and have this great game, and then he'd disappear. Three weeks later, there was a CJ Miles sidebar, and so they need those backup guys to play a little bit more consistently. So we're doing CJ Miles stories every week, so to speak. Mike, interesting enough, uh, as was the case down the road at USC in the UCLA game, Riley Batten and Timmy Allen were the two guys statistically that uh, got things done. Batten, 14 points, five rebounds in the 73-57 loss at UCLA. Timmy Allen, uh, near triple-double, 13 points, eight assists, seven rebounds. The thing, uh, Utah shot 39% in that game, Mike, but what caught me was the fact that UCLA went to the free-throw line 22 times. Utah only shot 
five free throws in the whole game. Was that the difference, or is there more to it than that? That was a part of the difference. You know, I didn't really even notice that till the end of the game. You know, I suddenly went, oh, that was Utah's first foul shot, like early in the second half. But uh, no, the Utah prides themselves on going to the line a lot. And Timmy Allen is one guy that always is going inside and trying to draw contact. He shot a ton of foul shots this year, and I'm not not, not the refs had anything to do with it, but it seemed like he would go in there, get knocked around, and look up like, where's the foul call? And he wouldn't get it, and then they just go the other way, and, and, he, and he kind of expects to get those, and he only got a couple foul shots all game. So I think that's that was a key factor, just the fact that, but no, they, they were outplayed. Utah was outplayed the whole game. This freshman, Tiger, whatever his last name is, he had his game of his life, 24 points. I don't think he'd made more than 16 before that game. So, you know, that, they caught UCLA on a good day, because they haven't been that great this year. But it was uh, just, uh, so it was more than just foul shooting. Utah was kind of beaten in every way during that game. Uh, Mike, more importantly, uh, how was your visit to Pauley Pavilion? What did you think? Well, I, you know, it was my first one. I've been at about, you know, seemed like a thousand arenas in my life, and I was always wanting to go to Pauley, and it was ex- exciting just to do that, but it was kind of a nondescript place, you know, like you, you've told me that before. There's not much to it, really. It's just kind of a building there. You almost wouldn't even notice it as you walk up to it, you know, because right. it's not, it doesn't have a dome or anything. It's nothing really big, but, you know, the inside's really nice. They've they've remodeled it recently, so it looks nice on the inside, but it's mostly for the historical aspect of it more than just the, anything else. Right. It's one of those places you always want to go, kind of like Notre Dame football. You got to see a UCLA basketball game at Poly Pavilion. Mike, the Utes are sitting all alone right now, uh, halfway through at three and six in 10th place. Um, they got Stanford and Cal coming to town this week. At the midway point, what kind of grade do you give them? Oh, I think they're a, probably a solid C. You know, they, uh, as far as the whole season, you know, they had some great wins early on, but this is a young team, and I don't think if at the start of the year, if you said, are they going to be, what are you going to be at after nine games? You'd probably, three and six would say, yeah, it makes sense, you know. But they they played so well in beating BYU and Kentucky and Minnesota, people started thinking, you know, these guys are pretty dang good. Maybe they're going to make a run at the title, which I, ne- I never thought that was a possibility because the league's too strong this year. So I think that's about, you know, there's kind of average what they should be about this point, and they just have to make sure they don't keep falling backward because they could end up being uh, down in the cellar if they don't watch it it's pretty soon. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see Oregon State down there. You know, they in Washington. Washington's in last. And the Huskies, yeah, first to last. So, uh, Jody, would you say the Utes have exceeded expectations, fallen short, or right about where you expected? Yeah, I'm going to give them a C plus. Maybe I'm a little bit more softer, greater than Mike is, but I, I give them the C plus because of uh, that excellent preseason. I mean, they were they were uh, doing things that we didn't expect them to do, having those nice wins, uh, getting some guys contributing at a higher rate than we we thought that they would, particularly Rylan Jones. I, I think that he's been the player who's been the biggest surprise so far on the Utes. Uh, but uh, as far as Pac-12 play, they are playing, as Mike said, they are who we thought they would be. Uh, it's really interesting that this Ute team, and it, this is a sign of youth, they're 8-1 at home, and they're 1-6 on the road. And so, I mean, it's clear as day that this is that's where it's they the have must. to... It's all about the must. The, there you go, the must. They must play better on there the road. There we go. <laughs> Line of the show. Maybe that's maybe you're Larry Kosovac. He he hands out some cash to a player to a student every every uh, game. Maybe he needs to start like getting a travel fund going for the must to send them on the road. But the good news is they only have four road games left in Pac-12 play in the second half of the season. So they have five games at home. They have the uh, Stanford and Cal. They haven't seen either of those two teams. So that's going to be interesting. They have the home and home with those two still left. But I think they're better than a tenth place team. And I think we'll see them progress, assuming they get back to full strength and, and can find the uh, the hoop again. 
you know, I'm kind of along the same line of you guys. I, I'm giving, you know, going to give them a C because some of those non-conference wins, as Mike pointed out, were impressive. But three and six of Pac-12 play for a team that's consistently finished in the top four, despite the big roster turnover in that, I think it's a little disappointing at this stage of the game. But uh, you know, there's the second half, and uh, I don't know, 500 looks like uh, an admirable goal, but it's starting to look like if they can go six and three the second half, that uh, they'll have a little momentum going into the conference tournament. Yeah, I mean, at, there for a while, we're starting to wonder, gosh, could this possibly be an NCAA team? And if you looked at the net rankings early on, they were included in, they were among the uh, top 64 teams, but now they've fallen down and, and they kind of got our hopes up and now have come back down to earth a little bit. So now that instead of looking towards the end goal being perhaps NCAA, now it's maybe, yeah, 500 NIT. Mike, no one's covered the team like you have. Who's been the mo- most pleasant surprise and who's been the biggest disappointment personnel-wise? Well, I don't know if there's been a really surprise. I guess maybe you'd say that Ryland Jones, you knew how good he was being, uh, you know, Mr. Basketball for two years and being an All-Stater and a local kid. I think he maybe is, is uh, playing better than we thought he would. He's playing 37 minutes a game lately. I mean, that's they don't want right. to take him out of the game because he's probably, he could be their most valuable player. I mean, Timmy Allen, you know, he started off great, but he's been shooting like 33% in Pac-12 play. He's just had a really struggle getting the ball in the hoop. He had eight assists the other night, He really, which is good. He can pass the ball and, and help other guys, but if the other guys aren't making shots, he could have had he could have had 12 assists the other night. But uh, disappointment, you know, I hate to say Booth because Booth had those, you know, he had what, 24 against Kentucky and he had 24 points twice this year, but he's really struggled lately. He can't find the hoop. He's shooting in the 20% range and, you know, I didn't think <clears throat> really missed him that much this last week just because he has been shooting so poorly and so right. I don't think they missed him if he was, unless he's shooting well. If he's shooting well, they really do miss him and he's got to get going, but he's got this knee injury and who knows how long he'll be out. You know, and I think this Brandon Carlson, who I'm going to do a story on later this week, he's been a pleasant surprise. He he had kind of a lull there around Christmas time where he acted like a freshman, but he's had uh, he's averaged over 10 points the last three games. He had seven rebounds the other night, and I think he's shooting 72% in his last three games. This is a kid that you know went to Bingham High and didn't even start till he was a senior, and he's he's got a, a really bright future, seven footer. Like in addition to shooting, what are some other areas the Utes need to improve on the second half of the season? Well, you know, the coach always talks about defense, and their defense right now, I think they rank, rank last in the league in uh, points in, in Pac-12 play, so they haven't been stopping teams very well. That's that's a big place. Rebounding is always a struggle for these guys just because they got a lot of skinny guys, and they've held their own in a couple of games. They haven't done terribly. And then turnovers have been a problem. They had 15 the other night, and they just kind of make some silly errors. But then, you know, it comes back to the same thing. These guys are freshmen and sophomores, and, and they just they are so young. You know, I think they'll be a pretty dang good team in a year or two. To, but this year, they just have to kind of be a little more consistent and just uh, hang on as long as they can and see if they can get a few wins. Mike, how do you see the coming week with uh, Cal and Stanford coming to town? Uh, split? Sweep? What do the Utes need to do? Well, you know, uh, it's funny that, you know, you remember last year, Utah had a better road record than a home record in, in league play. And this year, it's just the opposite. They've, they've won most of their home games, lost all their road games. Um, Stanford has really improved this year. Last year, they were one of the doormats of the league, and they've been ranked in the top 20 in the NET rankings all year, and they've got uh, a fairly young team, but they, uh, they're they up there uh, in second place, tied for second.
second, I think, or third in the, in the league. Uh, they're going to be awfully tough to beat. They beat Oregon last week by 10 points, and Oregon has been the you know main team in the league this year. And then Cal was picked for last, and they have been last the last couple of years, and they've uh, they've come out and surprised everybody. They're 4-4 four and four this year. So Stanford was picked 10th in the league. Cal was picked 12th, you know, both behind Utah. So I'm thinking that, uh, you know, Utah, at the start of the year, you'd say these are going to be a couple of gimmies at home, but um, they better win one of them, and that would be most likely Cal, but if they can get both, I think then they'll feel pretty good about themselves again as they go back out on the road. Guys, uh, I just wanted your opinion. How many teams do you think the Pac-12 will get in the NCAA tournament? How many do you think they'll get in the NIT? I mean, does Utah need to crack the top seven, top six to get postseason play after the Pac-12 tournament? How do you see it? Uh, if you look at it right now, the uh, in the bracketologist, the net ranking, they have five teams that are qualified for the NCAA tournament according to the rankings, and I think that's probably a, a realistic number. I mean, it could go down to four depending on if some bubble teams get get in and, and leapfrog over uh, a team or two. I, as far as they have quite a few other teams that are kind of in the next tier in the NIT, so I think they could have another four or five in the NIT as well. But I, I would be surprised if they got more than five in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think five is probably the right number right now. And as far as the NIT goes, it kind of depends on the rest of the league. You know, teams like Arizona State, if they don't make the NCAAs, you know, they're probably going to make the NIT. Some of these teams are on the borderline, and the NIT is probably not going to take four or five Pac-12 teams. So Utah, even if they have a winning record and a couple of big wins, they might get edged out just by some other better Pac-12 teams. But if they uh, you know they have a chance that if they have a decent maybe finish 17 and 12 or something like that uh, and the fact that they've beaten Kentucky and BYU they might have a chance to go there and otherwise it's the question is will they want to go to the CBI which they haven't been to since the back in I covered them back in the Jim Boylan days when they and they had a young team then and they kind of said let's go do it so that's another reason they might want to just do something like that just because it's a young team but it's the Pac-12 now so maybe they probably uh, may not want to do that route. The NIT has proven to be a, a tough uh, place to get into Utah last year. Typically, you'd think with the record they had would have made the NIT last year, but more of a political animal. And then the fact that you know the teams, conference champions that don't win their tournaments get in automatically. It's a little tougher to get an NIT bid than it used to be, isn't it, Mike? It is a little bit. But you, you know, last year, remember, Utah had 14 losses, and they really didn't have too many signature wins. You know, right. so I think they, that really hurt them. So this year, if they ended up with only maybe you know 12 or 13 losses, they'd have a little better chance. And they do have the signature wins. So, But yeah, it seemed like there's more and more teams. Plus, they changed the rules a few years ago. They have to let in conference champions who don't make the NCAA from these smaller conferences. So there's a lot of these dinky teams that get in every year that maybe no one's ever heard of, but they get in because they won a conference championship. And so that kind of fills up the, the bracket of 32 teams pretty quickly. All right, guys, you ready to talk a little football? If you yes, are, yes, yes, we're ready to go. go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're the boss. We're ready to talk about whatever you want to. Letter of Intent Day is this week. Uh, obviously, Utah took care of much of their business uh, during the early signing period, but uh, it's optimism runs rampant uh, this time of year, and uh, I guess we're going to hear the Utes say they got everybody they wanted on Wednesday. They did get a couple of you know highly ranked guys in some spots where they need they have some holes to fill. So that I think that they should feel good about their class. Like we just never know until you see the guys actually get on the field and and go through spring and, and summer and fall and before you can see what they're actually going to do. So it's good to be optimistic right now, but it doesn't really mean anything at this point. And Mike, obviously uh, Utah took advantage of the early signing period, leaving them to just fill holes. Uh, with specific needs here in the late signing or the traditional signing period, this is going to go down 
down as a pretty good class for them. Got some high-profile guys coming in. Yeah, it looks that way, and it was interesting. I just read a story yesterday, uh, went back and looked at the 2016 class. Uh, they do these reevaluations. I can't remember the source. And Utah, they ranked them number nine, and that was the year that they brought in Bradley and I and, and Moss and these guys from Florida. And what they do is they take a, they look back and say, what stars are these guys now? Right. And that was it. They said Utah had, a, had the strongest of all the Pac-12 teams. So Utah's done a great job in the past. Now, at the time, I think they were ranked 37th, and so they very much exceeded their expectations. And that's the key. You know, we've said it many times. It, who knows what will happen four years from now? Right now, they're optimistic, and they do have a lot of pretty good uh, athletes coming in, but we'll find out in in 2024, I guess we can look back and see how they really did. Hey, Jody, uh, Devontae Henry Cole uh, made the decision to enter the transfer portal. He didn't stay there very long. Ended up uh, signing with the Cougars down the road as a grad transfer, so he'll be able to play. That surprised you that somebody would uh, throw a red jersey down and put a blue one on? We, we've seen it the other way around, so you know, so I, it, it it is a little bit surprising, but not really if you consider his situation where he converted to become a member of the church. Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints while he was at the University of Utah. I think it there's an opening at BYU. He's familiar with some of the players. It's in the same state. I think in those situations, it, it makes sense. It's your rival. I thought it was funny that he announced where he was going and Tyler Huntley, Huntley tweeted a picture of him saying, you know, they're so poo-poo. <laughs> I, he did it in, in, you know, good-natured, fun-loving uh, jab there, but I think it's a good fit for him. I think he's going to have an opportunity to come in right away and be the uh, the go-to guy. Mike, he showed occasional flashes at Utah, but he was stuck behind Zach Moss, and he obviously, part of his career, he was slowed by an injury, missing an entire season in that. Is BYU getting a good running back there? Well, you know, he's pretty small. I mean, uh, he's a, one of these guys that, uh, you know, he's he's fast and he has a lot of good attributes, but I think it was not a big surprise because he's, uh, you know, Utah has got at least probably three guys that are going to be ahead of him coming into this year, and they're underclassmen, and so so uh, he was probably going to be behind those. I read the writing on the wall that he wasn't going to get to see a lot of action. And, you know, and BYU is a good fit for him. They kind of struggled with their running game this year. And, and the fact that it's close and he knows the, the area and everything else, it made sense. But uh, I don't think the Utes are going to tell you the truth, miss him that much, because I don't think he would have going to be a, a big part of their plans next year. No, he had uh, 469 yards and four touchdowns over 25 games with the Utes. Caught three passes for 23 yards in the score. So made contributions, but not big-time ones, obviously. And he was kind of like a backup quarterback. A lot of fans uh, put a lot of stock in him because he was the other guy. But when you're behind a Zach Moss, there was no no such discussion. I mean, he was definitely clearly behind Moss in the pecking order. Right. And I, I like that he, he averaged 5.5 yards a carry this season as well. He's going to have a hard time going up, up against a former Kearns High Cougar. Great. Let's give this shout-out to the uh, those Cougars. Sione Finau had a really nice season last last year for a freshman. Really quick guy. BYU does have some talent, but as Mike mentioned, a lot of injuries in that running back core as well, so there should be some opportunities for him. Yeah, and if Devontae Henry Cole can stay healthy and uh, you know handle the load of being the, the go-to guy, I think that BYU has a pretty good running back there. He's going to have to shave that beard off, though. I notice in the... Well, he's trim it nicely, right? <laughs> Maybe he'll apply for a beard card. 
You say Maybe a beer I will, card or a beard card? <laughs> they <laughs> or both. Yeah, beer cards are harder to get now that they raise the alcohol limit in Utah. Well, if your last name's McMahon, I understand you're okay to get one. That's I'll, just I'll let I you go there. We'll stay there. <laughs> hey guys, let's wrap up this edition. Uh, Mike, the Red Rocks six and zero going to Cal on Saturday. Off to another good start. I thought you were the expert on gymnastics. Right? I, that's yeah, what I, I looked up for you. The six and zero record. Well, they're always good, you know, and I think that they're going to have a, another top, you know, they're going to be in the top six at the end of the year if they keep going like they are. they got a lot of new new people on the team, but I, I really can't tell you a lot of details about them, to tell you the truth. Uh, you know, the coaching change, I think that's probably the big thing is no Marsden's coaching, and they don't seem to have missed a beat, so the Marsden's obviously laid a good foundation for them. Jody, the women's basketball team um, in a brutal Pac-12 this year, a lot of ranked teams in that, 10 and 11, uh, Three and seven in Pac-12 play. What do you think about the women? Do you think they can uh, pull that record up a little bit before the tournament? Well, they're in a, a tough stretch right now. Lost three in a row, and now they have to travel to Washington this weekend for a couple of games. So that's going to be tough uh, to turn it around there. So this is one of those kind of building character years for the for the Lady Utes, I think. But they've had some moments. But uh, you know, this is the Pac-12 is a, a tough league for the women. It is. Hey, Chris Hill is going to be honored this week. Mike, you've known him for a long time, 31 years of service. Uh, I think Keith Van Horn sent uh, a tweet out today talking about how ironic it would be to have the Chris Hill banner hanging right next to the Rick Majerus banner, considering the conflict those two had over the years and that. But, uh, you know, I had the chance to do a story on Chris Hill later this week. I had a chance to visit with him today, and he's humbled by this uh, honor and the recognition that's coming. Um, I think it's well-deserved. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, he was there for 31 years, correct? And, uh, you know, he certainly did a lot with the program, built the basketball program up, built the football program up, was a big part of that anyway, hired the right people. And, uh, you know, he had a lot of honors. He was on the NCAA committee for several years and, and maybe kind of just just overall raised the, you know, the U- Utah banner for over the years. So I think he's very deserving of that, and that's to be up there on the rafters. One thing I didn't understand about or didn't know about Chris Hill's legacy was he really worked his way up from the bottom up. And, you know, as an assistant coach, he was he came to Utah and... and the grad assistant. Yeah, grad Bill assistant. Foster, then he went and coached at Granger High for a few years. Kind of became a member of the society. Came back to the U. Uh, just started coaching and, and moved his way up and then got into the athletic department. So I I think that's an impressive part that he just kept going and going and getting better, uh, better contacts and, and doing more and more stuff for the University of Utah. And obviously, he was a key part in helping the Utes get into the Pac-12, hired Rick Majerus, hired Urban Meyer and and, and Whittingham. So he has a, just a, done a tremendous job for the Utes over the last three or four decades. Sorny, probably the biggest thing of his legacy is Utah's transition into the Pac-12. What do you think about that? They, it took a while to get some football uh, division titles and such, and the basketball team has done pretty well on that. But uh, ironically, uh, baseball, first men's team to win a thing. Of it. Can you just talk about that transition going from, as Kyle Whittingham said, it's like scaling the Grand Canyon and Chris Hill was at the forefront of that. Yeah, he had a lot to do with that. I just think all the contacts he had over the years you know, helped kind of pave the way. And uh, I think the fact that a lot of people you know, look going back, it's been almost 10 years now had no idea that Utah would have been as successful as they have been. I, a lot of people said they'll never do this, never do that. And they've already won. They've won back-to-back South titles in football. You know, they're in the Sweet 16 in basketball and we're right up there in the 
haven't won the title yet, but they were right up there in the top two or three for a couple of years there. And they've won a few other, you know, they've won gymnastics national gymnastics, ski titles, and different things like that. So they've certainly uh, held their own, and I think they've done a lot better than most people would have thought, and Chris Hill was a, lot, a, a large part of that. All right, before we close, uh, let's talk about the Terrell Perryman arrest. The Utes acted quickly, uh, disassociating him from the program, football program uh, as soon as Kyle Whittingham got news of the uh, the arrest and such. Mike, uh, is that just a sign of the times, things like this happen when you have... Uh 100-plus kids in a program? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to downplay it at all. But, but I do know, you know, as we all know, who've been around the Utah program, they, they have a list of, uh, of ideals up there. And I think it's even maybe number one on the list is to treat women correctly. You know, I mean, you've seen that list up there in the football office and in the football rooms. So they they make a big point of this. And so and I, they haven't really had that many problems over the years, you know, if you look at it over the long run. I mean, it's a shame that it happened and you can't excuse it whatsoever. Um, but you, they do have hundreds of athletes. Athletes and there's always somebody that makes this stupid decision. Jody, obviously, uh, given the serious nature of the allegations and that, um, it's nice to see that uh, there was no uh, gray area here. Utah acted swiftly and, and made the decision they did. Maybe they had no choice, but it's encouraging. It should be for Utah fans to know that uh, that behavior is not tolerated. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's where you, you see you know the character of your coaching staff and your administration is how they react and deal with situations like this. This, and I thought the Utes came through with flying colors. Whittingham has given guys a second chance before that have, have run afoul with the law or had some different struggles in, in different areas. But obviously, this was much more of a serious nature than some of the other guys. Don't want to compare crimes or, or guys, but I, I think they handled this particular situation very well. No, I mean, obviously, you can't argue with the seriousness of what uh, transpired here. And uh, you know, like I said, they may have had no choice, but it was encouraging to see that that everybody's on the same page here, that that kind of behavior is just not tolerated, whether it be allegations or truth or whatever. fact is, there was enough evidence to arrest him, and uh, Utah acted accordingly. Well, guys, let's wrap this up. Any final thoughts, Mike, uh, the basketball team heading in this week? Yeah, they just, uh, the, the, the team has just uh, got to find their way right now because they're just, they're kind of struggling. And, uh, you know, with the young team, things could go south in a hurry. So, I mean, if they ended up losing three or four in a row, it wouldn't totally surprise me. And but on the other hand, the coach just said, we're just going to get back to work today and try to turn this thing around, and we'll see what happens. So uh, they've got some time left, but it's it, the time's running out. they got to do something. I have two final thoughts, Mr. Facer. Sure. First off, I want to give a shout-out to uh, the Ute Lacrosse team. They started off their second season with a bang, beating Bellarmine, which is a university from Louisville, Kentucky. I had to look that up. Well, of course. <laughs> but Jimmy Perkins scored four goals to lead the, the Ute Lacrosse team to a 16-10 win in their season season opener. So congrats uh, to uh, the victory in Salt Lake City, as we lacrosse fans like to call it. Secondly, don't forget to sign up for the Ute Insiders newsletter. Go to Deseret.com. Every Wednesday, you'll get stats, stories, quotes, fun stuff uh, delivered to your inbox. Uh, All Utes all the time. So Deseret.com. It's easy to sign up. It's free. You get lots of extra goodies. Jody does a great job at that. We encourage you to do that. We also encourage you to go to Deseret.com and read about the Utes. We got lots of good stories there. And uh, folks, we appreciate you listening. And we will talk to you later. 